And now, live from beautiful Myrtle Beach, South Carolina, you're watching My Fellow Americans with your host, Spike Cohen. Yes! Yes, it's me. Thank you. Thank you so much. Keep clapping. Thank you. Keep clapping. I'm clapping for you. How would we know how happy you are to watch this special episode of My Fellow Americans if you didn't keep clapping? Welcome to My Fellow Americans. I am literally Spike Cohen. I know what you're thinking. Spike, you're a little bit better dressed than you usually are for an episode of My Fellow Americans. Well, of course I am. This is a businessman's episode. I am a businessman, and so I'm wearing my business attire. Thank you so much for joining us. Be sure to share this right now. This is a Muddy Waters Media production. You can check us out on Facebook, YouTube, Instagram, Anchor, Twitter, Periscope, iTunes, Google Play, Float, Twitch, all of your podcasting platforms. You can check us out anywhere, anywhere that you can watch or listen to things. We are probably there, including wherever you're watching this from or listening to right now. Be sure to share this right now. The last thing that I want, the last thing anyone wants. It's for you and your closest loved ones to be missing out on a libertarian podcast that's roughly an hour long. I would hate that for you. Give the gift of Spike Cohen's today. Kids love it. Uh, This episode, of course, is brought to you by personal injury attorney Chris Reynolds, attorney at law. Uh, If you live in the Tampa Bay area of Florida and find yourself to be injured personally, uh, then Chris Reynolds can help you with that. ChrisReynoldsLaw.com or... I, I don't have his phone number written down. I keep forgetting that. Uh, the intro and outro music to this and every episode of My Fellow Americans comes from the amazing and talented Mr. Joe Davi. That's J-O-D-A-V-I. Check him out on Facebook. Go to his SoundCloud. Uh, go to his Bandcamp. Go to joedavimusic.bandcamp.com. Buy everything he's ever made. It's like $25. You can buy his entire discography. It is amazing. Amazing, amazing music. Be sure to do that today. I'd like to thank who am I who's drawing? I'd like to thank Kroger for this delicious purified drinking water that I'm drinking on this episode of my fellow Americans Boulevard. It just popped. Is water supposed to pop? This pop why did the water pop? Bulvanaka. Shout out to Tehran Turks and Mominum as always. Folks, my guest tonight is someone I've been looking forward to talking to for weeks now. We've been, we, we, it, we got him scheduled uh, almost a month ago now. And I have been really, really excited to have him on uh, as a businessman. Uh, and, and, and I feel weird calling myself a businessman compared to him because I'm a businessman as he's a businessman in the same way that like a matchbox car and uh, if you put a Matchbox car next to, like, a Chevy Tahoe, technically those are both vehicles. Anyway, so as a businessman, uh, I, I find him to be incredibly inspirational, and uh, and I'm very interested to talk with him. Uh, he is a libertarian, and he's a businessman, and he has applied his libertarian ideas to the business model that he has created, which in my mind is revolutionary, and uh, I, I can't say anymore. I just I, Let's go ahead and introduce him. Ladies and gentlemen, my fellow Americans, please welcome to the show Mr. Chris Roofer. Chris, thanks so much for joining us tonight. Hello, thank you very much. Look forward to it. Yeah, thank you so much. And and I, you know, like I said, as a businessman, uh, I and, and as a business owner, I find you to be an absolute inspiration. And I, I've been looking forward to this gen- this discussion for weeks. So thanks so much for coming on. You're welcome. And folks, be sure to chime in with your questions and thoughts. And Chris and I will tell you if you are right or wrong. Now, Chris, uh, 
as a libertarian, uh, whenever I have a libertarian on the show, I always ask uh, ask my new libertarian guest, what got you into libertarianism? Was it like an aha moment or sort of a gradual evolution of time? All, all libertarians have their genesis story, if you will. Tell us the Chris Roofer story. I don't think I have a genesis story. I think it was born this way. So oh, wow. I went to, uh, grew up in a small town, Merced, in a cow town in Central California, and went to, uh, went to UCLA as a freshman. But uh, UCLA at the time was known as like a Chicago West. Uh, Thomas Sowell, a well-known libertarian, was my uh, labor professor. And other professors at UCLA's economics department were of a similar, uh, similar nature. So I may have absorbed things from an uh, you know, osmosis perspective. But I also have, I would have as a guess, uh, just a basic character and an inclination personally to, to uh, be receptive to these concepts. So I didn't realize, uh, I think getting out of school, I was starting to see a libertarian and the, and the name and the, the term and started following. And I said, well, that's me. So I didn't have to transition from anything else. I think I was born into it. I think I, I got it through osmosis through the school I went to. And I, uh, uh, I remember arguing uh, even before uh, economics classes uh, in, the, in a similar manner as far as, you know, not co- no coercion, respecting other people and respecting their, their bodies and their, and their property. So I don't think I transitioned, I just smoothed into it. You smoothed into the definition, but you were already a libertarian, basically. Uh, that's what appears to be the case, because there was no, that's interesting. I read Ayn Rand, or I read this book, or I read that book, and all of a sudden I got it. Yeah, so I'm kind of the stereotypical millennial libertarian who started out as a conservative and then, you know, Ron Paul brought me into libertarianism. You are one of the, you know, the the original, you came out of, you know, you were born uh, as a libertarian and just, it took you time to find the term, but you were already living according to the idea of leaving others alone, you know, and, and, and personal autonomy and things like that. That's really cool. So... I want to, we have to talk about this, this business model, which is, it's basically libertarianism applied to business. First of all, a little bit of a, of a background on, on your company. Uh, Morningstar uh, company pr- processes 25%. This might be, it might be more now. This, uh, this is a few years old from what I got, uh, but uh, about 25% of the California uh, processing tomato production, you supply roughly half, give or take of the, of the entire U.S. Uh, tomato paste and diced tomatoes market. So if you are, if you eat at home today, uh, watching this at home, if you have eaten tomatoes uh, ever, more than likely, uh, at least half of the time, or, or roughly half of the time, give or t- take, you have eaten a tomato that came from Chris's company. That That's how widespread of a company this is. Um, so Chris, you actually started this company, correct me if I'm wrong, As a, this started as, as you being a truck driver delivering tomatoes, is that correct? Yeah, my father was was basically a truck driver. He worked for my my grandfather for quite some time, and and ended up uh, uh, buying his own tr- his own truck and being a, what's called a sub hauler. So you 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 own and operate your own drive your own truck, and then the uh, so I go to work with him quite a bit, even when when I was very young. But uh, so I remember first year in at UCLA the summer or the next summer I was with him and and his one of his buddies truckers were stopped. They talk a lot. Uh, and one guy talked about hauling tomatoes from Merced, which caught my, my mind, because that's where I was from, to uh, Orange County, where my, my parents lived at the time. When I went to UCLA, they happened to move down there, just coincidence. 
And so I got the idea of doing that, and I uh, researched uh, researched it out. I think I was a I was a junior, right? I, I maybe saying I just turned 21. So when I drove out on my first job. I was just turned 21, which for insurance reasons and renting a truck, uh, I did. So it was a, it was a quote summer job, but it was such that I I became a tomato sub hauler, hauling tomatoes. This is and so how do, I just I'm sure there were a few steps involved. How do you go from I'm hauling tomatoes for some for the for the basically the family to I am now in charge of a company with a global reach that supplies I don't know is it trillions of tomatoes billions of tomatoes I don't know how many I don't know how many tomatoes it would be to supply this kind of market but many many tomatoes how what what led to that Well and, and uh and I really not too favor on people today. They're going to these, uh, uh, what do they call them, internships. And you start out, well, I want to be in finance. So when you're a sophomore or junior in college, you're going to these internships. How about getting out in the world and seeing how the world works? So I, uh, I drove a truck, yes, but driving a truck, if you're, if you're watching things, you see, you drive out to the field, the growers' fields, and you see how they're harvesting tomatoes. You see how it operates. Right. You follow the system through. You go to the... Uh, factory where they're you know unloading the tomatoes and processing tomatoes as well as other fruits sometimes and you see how they do that and how it all works and I noticed that at the, and we went on the harvesting machines that they're throwing away why are they at 20 at the time they had a 15 to 20 sorters on a one tomato harvesting machine that uh, picks up the tomatoes off the row and it cuts them and puts up an elevator shakes them off and drops them down and they have people on either side Sorting tomatoes. So what are they basically sorting for? I talk to the growers, and it's just in, in, in curiosity. I think is a key thing. Well, they're 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 taking out the green tomatoes because the ones that aren't ripe yet. And at the time, they were probably ten percent of the of what you pick up out of the field. So then, in the factory, I noticed that the greens floated, and you take a green tomato and put it in, in water, and it floats. So some of the red ones will float too. But I said, well, why don't why don't you? And, and we harvested just during the day. So we trucked just during the day. So I thought I was locating in the Central Valley. I got eight, nine loads a week. Our trucks now get 50 to 70 loads a week. So why don't they do 24 hours a day? Well, there's not lights. And they got all these workers out there to coordination. Well, why don't you do 24 hours a day? Skip this grading station I went to, right? Go to the factory, unload them, and sort out the greens in the water. Why well, have all these 18 people sorting these tomatoes out on the machine when you could do it? So right. you just, you just, the curiosity and putting things together. So I drove a truck in the summers for five years. I had three degrees, so it took me a little longer. But it got me through school, and then I had, uh, was getting out of school, and I just moved up to Davis to research my ideas. I think I was the only MBA from UCLA that didn't go interview for a job. So I just moved to, uh, to Davis and researched my ideas, and one thing led to another, and uh, that's how it started. That's how I got into the business. So you got in and you're basically just, you're, you're, you're basically trucking, but as you're trucking, you're seeing, wait a second, this isn't working right. You, you mentioned one example of, of the, of the, 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 the tomatoes floating. And then eventually over time you were able to, to grow into being the, the owner of a cut. That's fantastic. That's, this is, like I said, as someone who is very business inclined, this is the kind of stuff that I want to hear. Half of having you on the show was to educate uh, the, uh, the my audience on you know how libertarian ideals can be applied to actual real life situations. The other half is just to listen to you talk about this stuff because I'm absolutely fascinated and, and inspired by it. But uh, so 
Morningstar is very interesting in that, unlike, for, for those who don't know, unlike most large companies, as much as half of the workforce, especially the bigger it gets, the bigger a percentage of the company ends up just being middle and upper management. As the company gets bigger and there's more and more separation from department to department and from worker to worker, the model has always been sort of this for lack of a better word, pyramid type model where there's various levels of management that work their way up between the boss and 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 the various or the or the the, the board or whatever and the various employees. But your company's doing things quite differently than that model, isn't it? Yes. So it's called the so you you call it a a uh, 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 solutions fo- I, I, correct me if I'm wrong a solutions focused self managed model what what does that look like compared to the the, the normal business model or the more common yeah, our, business our, model? our technical term is mission focused self management okay how, how is that different? so I can describe I can describe it different ways from ups and downs how it started how it evolved uh, what it really is. Uh, and can go through probably five or six statements that would explain it pretty well. You want to go through those, or how do you want to proceed? Yeah, so let's so let's start with that. How did you even come about the idea? I mean, you you sort of started with you know a, a solution out of something worse, but how how did you go from saying this other way of working isn't working? Let's do it this way. That again, I think naturally evolved. We started. I started after school. I worked for another person who was in the tomato business for about a year and a half. But it was also began to start to build the uh, the trucking operations. So we uh, we today in the summer, we're hauling tomatoes, we're on around 300 tractors and I don't know, seven or 800 sets of tomato trailers hauling tomatoes. Uh, we're like the largest agricultural hauling company in, the, in California in the, in the summertime at least. But we started that in and of course I drove in the summertime while going to school. So we started the trucking company. Uh, I did. And I worked with another person who, who uh, basically was a partner, not legally, but a partner. We worked uh, together, and he ran some of the operations. I ran the business part. He ran some of the operations, but we, we hired drivers, and basically they were uh, UC Davis uh, students, so most of them were college kids also. But you start with a, a trucking outfit. You, you can't supervise truck drivers. You know, unless you had another a supervisor, this is part of the story about self-management. And you can yeah. use a trucking example. I usually use a restaurant example, but can you imagine if a trucking company you had a supervisor – in the truck, there's two, two seats in the big truck, okay, and you had a driver. So right. the concept of management, why management? So if you really want to run an operation really well, you should have a, a, the driver, who the concept basically is, well, the truck driver, the worker, really doesn't know that much. They're, they're sometimes dishonest, and they can't coordinate themselves, and they're not that skillful. What I, so you hire a manager. Why do you hire a manager to supervise this person? The assumption would be that the manager is totally honest, totally competent, you know, knows how to organize their work with other people. Right. I mean, they, they know they're they got a high skill level. So that's why you yeah. hire a manager. So now imagine in a truck that you have, you, you look at a trucking company, you want to buy their uh, spike, and you had this trucking company that had a, a worker, quote, a less than competent person there driving the truck, and you had a supervisor in the truck monitoring the truck driver. Right. Now, what would, you, what would you think there? Would you make any changes in I, your operation? I, me personally, if, if one of the people that I've hired is incompetent, so incompetent that I have to hire someone else to watch them, I'd start to think, 
maybe I don't need that incompetent person if they are indeed incompetent. Maybe the person who, who is who is much more competent should be the one that's actually doing the driving. I would think. Exactly. So I use a restaurant example, and I you know use four or five jobs in a restaurant, hostess, cook, etc. And so if you want a really good restaurant, you should have a supervisor supervisor over every person. If you take the logic right. of management and many of the reasons for it to its right. ultimate conclusion, you'd have a supervisor for every single person. So our bottom line is you either, yes, you either have the person driving the truck who's really competent or you take the one who's really competent and put him in the truck and drive exactly. a seat, right? Yeah. Okay, so that's that's what I saw. That's what I see. So that's how it, it uh, recently evolved to where you can't really supervise the truck drivers, so you're dependent on them. This is so fast. So they're managing themselves. Right. So this is kind of applying the same way that libertarians, we think, okay, so you don't trust the people, for example, like in a political setting, you don't trust the people. So we need to hire politicians to look over them. But yet, so you can't trust people with their own freedom, but you can trust them to have control over everyone else's life. But the way that we pick them is through the people that you don't trust to make decisions for themselves. So it's kind of a simple, it's like, okay, if you don't trust them, why don't we just replace them with someone who you do trust? So obviously this, this doesn't just work with trucking. This works with, uh, this works with anything because in all reality, you really can't supervise personally as a boss. You can't individually supervise all of your employees. So why not instead hire good employees and, and figure it out from there. Now, two of the biggest criticisms of the self-management model that, that some of my audience may be thinking that they often hear with something like this would only work in a small company or only work with unskilled workers. Well, Morningstar employs hundreds of full-time employees and thousands of seasonal workers. Uh, it is definitely not a small company by any stretch. And it also has workers of every type of skill set from, you know, uh, uh, farming to production to distribution to marketing, you know, and, and uh, acquisition and everything in between that you would need to have for a large uh, food processing and distribution and marketing company. Um, so, Chris, you obviously, you know, you have a lot of information here uh, that you, you can share. You know, tell us, give us, I guess, a, a basic breakdown with, with the, the info that you have, how this model I guess the brass tacks of how this model works, and we can kind of go from there. Yeah, I can go through these things very well, but on a point that you just brought up uh, about how does it scale? Well, what's the largest scale we have on this earth from a human scale? We have our society. So let's take the United States of America, 330 million people, which is yep. pretty large scale if that was one company, right? Yes. How does it work? Without a, you know, we can say government's really managing us, but they're not. They're not. They're managing a little bit of this and that, and a lot of stuff. But yeah, on a day-to-day -day basis, on choosing yeah. your spouse or choosing where to live and what car to car to drive or how to dress, it's you. So what's going on there? See, I ask people, well, what is your fundamental mission in life? And it's amazing if uh, people uh, just hard to answer that one. But so I'll try it real quick because we don't have we have X amount of time. You know, people have a mission to be happy. And most people will, will then relate to that. So each pe people in society have a have a mission. And they don't recognize it, but why you have that color tie on spike? And why did you choose those glasses out of probably 150 or 300 sets of eyeglasses too? So you go to the optometrist right. and there's all these different styles and sizes of glasses. You pick one, maybe two, but whatever. <laughs> you pick one out of all those. Why did you pick that one? Somehow it, all the costs 
and the color and the this, and this is going to satisfy me the most among all those choices. What's right, going to bring right. me the most happiness? What food am I going to eat? So everybody has a personal mission. So I transfer that into a company and call it, we call it our personal commercial mission. So your commercial mission as a truck driver is to, is to uh, drive to a place to pick up some materials and safely and swiftly uh, drive it to another place, deliver it to another location. Okay? Right. Safely and swiftly and, and correctly, pick up the right stuff. So they have a mission. So we say that's your mission. So the key thing in self-management is it's driven by your mission. Very similar to how the United States works. We all have our own missions, but very common mission, and we drive to our mission. And that's how we make our choices. So in the company, it's your personal commercial mission that drives your choices, not another person. So your personal commercial mission is your boss. That's where you get your direction, not from another human being, but from your personal commercial mission. Now, as you recognize in the out in the, out in the uh, world here, you're you're. I don't know if you you made that tie, Spike, but you probably bought it from somebody else. So you coordinate with other people. You coordinate with hundreds, dozens, and hundreds of not thousands of people. You coordinate your life with. You know, you didn't build the airplane, you didn't hire the, air, the airplane pilot, but you got on an airplane and flew somewhere. So you're coordinating with many, many people based on their own their personal commercial missions also. And the pilot didn't tell you how to get on a plane. The barber didn't tell you, you've got to go to me, you come to me. And the person that is selling you a pizza is, is trying to convince you to buy that pizza because it's a great quality pizza. They don't use a gun to shove you into their pizza store. So we're all living based on our missions. And that's a core philosophy in self-management. So, so this is actually a big thing here is that part of the underlying idea of self-management is a libertarian idea uh, not just in its its praxis, how it's actually playing out, but in its in in its fundamental principle, its elementary founding foundational idea, which is that you know each of us is is empowered to be able to make our own decisions. Each of us has a level of autonomy over ourselves, and 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 that really the only uh, guidance that we should be receiving is don't hurt other people, don't coerce other people, don't try to harm other people or violate their rights and their uh, personal autonomy and, and self-ownership, if you will, and, uh, and, and be able to conduct yourself accordingly. And you have been able to apply these principles uh, it, not just in your personal life, like as you said, you know, we're all out here trying to figure things out for our life, but also in your actual business model. Um, I, I just find that absolutely uh, fascinating. Now, you, you mentioned a mission. Now, you have... A, a a company-wide mission statement, and then there are individual departments that have their mission statements. And then am I correct that each individual employee has their own personal company mission statement? And I think you were talking about that. Is that is that correct? Right. We have it. We have an overall vision. Mm -hmm. And then each of the – we have a number of companies, so they're – Legally, financially separated out to speak. Right, of. right. But uh, so they, they, one's trucking, one's harvesting, one's tomato processing. We dry tomatoes. That's another thing. We make pizza sauce. Another company. So we have a few different companies. They have their own mission. So that's the that's the company that company's mission. And then you got you got uh, get down to the people's personal commercial mission. So you got a few layers of missions. Within, uh, within your enterprise. And I call it the, a concept of total responsibility, which is anti-MBA business school. So it's, you know, if, you don't, if you've got common missions, nothing will get, common responsibilities, nothing will get done. 
you have to get very clear on, on your responsibilities and, and your activities and, and uh, they should be overlapping, they should be clear. So it's expected that people take total responsibility for the enterprise from the total enterprise to their business, to their, to their business unit within the company and, right. to, uh, and to themselves. So people think that's crazy, but I, and I say, well, gee, what's the what's the most fundamental, long-lasting unit we have in, in our culture and our in our humanity? It's a family. Right. So I don't know uh, what kind of family different people grow up in. I was very very traditional, you know. Dad worked, mom was at home, three kids, three boys, and uh, but you know, my dad didn't take responsibility for one of the children, and my mom for another. They took total responsibility for the family. And it all worked out pretty good. Now, their activities were principally different, but the total responsibility was that, you know, I'll take, I'll, I'm responsible for the entire family. If, if mom's doing the cooking or dad's going to do the cooking, whatever it is, that's their general activity. But if mom went to the hospital for some reason and she had a bellyache or some, something happened and she was in the hospital for three days, you think the kids are going to starve? No, dad who doesn't know how to cook that well is going to feed the kids. Right. So that's what I can. It's another concept we have is total responsibility. And so, and and, and neither would your dad go and find a temporary mom or something like that. She, he would <laughs> take care of it until until your mom was okay and able to come back and, and fulfill or, her, or, her. Or you her, can her, figure her, out the problem some other way. Yep. Or, or figure out a long-term problem if, God forbid, there were a longer-term issue or something like yep. that. But within the family structure, this is I, this is everything I try to tell people all day. So um, my first question when I was finding out about this model, the first thing that popped up in my head, and again, I'm very libertarian. Uh, I uh, I am I like to think of myself as the most libertarian. That's there is no such thing. But I, I I'm very libertarian. But the first thing I thought was, okay, but without managers. How does an employee over here know what does what, what how the rest of the company works? So, for example, if I work in marketing, which if I worked for you, I would be in marketing, yeah. uh, and I need to talk to someone in processing or the kitchen about a specific uh, issue or question that arose, without having those interlocutors, you know, built into the management class, how, how do I even find out who to talk to about a specific thing? How do, how does that act, the brass tacks of that work? It's actually pretty easy because, again, you've got your tie. So what did you do? Did you have to have a manager to go tell you where to go to get a tie? So, yeah, some things you don't know where to go, but you start asking and you find out. So we have no uh, there's no restrictions on people talking to other people. So what you've got is this is similar to what they call a uh, uh, what's a game with the kids and you speak to each other. uh, uh, Oh, telephone in their ear. Pardon? Telephone. Telephone. You got it. Okay. So you, the telephone game. So when you got this whole management structure, what you got going on is, is uh, Susie has a problem in customer service where she is right. customer service. And then uh, uh, Jane over here is, is over here shipping loads out a product that customer service wants to get out because they got an order from the customer. And mm-hmm. somehow Susie's complaining about right, right, Jane or so that, well, Jane's not doing something right. So, so there's a way to go for, for the, the first person to complain to a supervisor who then complains to the common supervisor, the general general manager of the warehouse, who then complains yeah. and, and discusses it with the supervisor of the loading, the truck, uh, the forklift drivers, and they talk to the forklift drivers over here that are, that are getting this. So there's a telephone there of, of four or five different mouths to ears. Yeah, so how does yeah. that story go? So we have a concept of one-on-one. 
you got an issue with somebody, you want to talk to somebody about whatever it is, you can talk to whomever you want to, you go talk to them. There's no intermediaries. So in finding out what people do, you, you have a lot of fluidity to, number one, just like you bought the tie, where do I get it? I, you, know, you should talk to a few people, oh, you can get a good tie over there. And that's how our society works, right? You go to a new town or whatever region, you move in, hey, hey, where's a good restaurant in town? You fly into a town, what do you ask? You know, before you go there, hey, where's a good place to stay? Here's my budget on a hotel. So you ask people and you find out real right. fast. So you get into our company. First, you're kind of going to come in with a mission anyway, because why did you come in? Because the people at right. our company felt they need. We, you know, we could be better off if we had so-and-so uh, driving. We need another forklift driver. We need another customer service person. We need another salesperson. We need another accountant. So we'd be beneficial if we had another accountant because our business has grown and we're stretched and we're not paying our bills as well as we should because we're a little delayed because they haven't got the right number of people. We need to hire somebody. Right. So you have a need to hire somebody. So they come in with a mission with pretty general understanding of what they're going to be doing. Okay, it's not that not that wacko. So it's, it's pretty normal. And once they get in, they're free to talk to whomever. And I have hired, uh, brought on people at a facility and they have this position over here. I, I remember coming in once and I'm coming eight or months or 15 months later and, and I go say, what, what, what are you doing over here? Oh, well, so-and-so and I decided that, you know, I had this experience that, that, uh, that, that would be better suited over here than over here. These guys agreed that, that I can go work over here and then they would hire another person or they would bring someone over here. So they, you know, they decided they want to move around a little bit to the best of everybody. So they have the ability to do that. You know, is your mission covered and is your, your, your business unit's mission covered? Okay, right. fine, go make some changes. You know, you gotta, you gotta, you put some balls in a, and what's that game? You put a ball in a, uh, a little small marbles into a bigger um, container and you shake yeah. it up and it kind of rolls around so that everybody gets into kind of a nice place, right? Right. So, so that's, so that's wait, what so self-management allows you to do. It's spontaneous orders. First thing I had to say on here is mission-focused self-management brings organizational structure to an enterprise spontaneously. So it's spontaneous to order applied to a business model. It's, I was going to say, it's spontaneous order applied to a business model. So wait, just so I understand, exactly. employment decisions are being made without you knowing sometimes? Oh, yeah. It's happened almost forever. I mayor, if you're going to go and sell cars and, and, and the person selling cars is going to go and, and, and market ties. No, you figure it out yourself. I love this. I love. This. I didn't even know that. So okay, here, here's a, here's. Here, oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead. Go ahead. No, no, go ahead. Okay, so there is. Here's an example that I, I read about within your company. It was in a, an article that I was reading when I, when I researched it. Here's kind of a perfect example of how this this uh, self managed model works within the company. So there was an employee of yours that worked in customer service. Uh, his job was essentially uh, to find out what potential customers wanted. Um, he actually started cold calling customers or actually, uh, I think, prospective customers to find out what their needs were and discovered that they were lo the, the ones that were located in more distant places uh, felt like that they were having to pay too much for Morningstar's products. And so he got together some other colleagues within the company uh, and decided that uh, ultimately what needed to be done was there needed to be more uh, distribution centers across the country uh, that would help to solve that problem and make it make it the cheaper in those areas. 
he had no prior experience with distribution centers. So instead of going to management or this never happening because the people that are in charge of this aren't talking to the people in, 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 in marketing, uh, he instead enlisted the support of another person within the company uh, who had experience in distribution centers. They worked on it together. And within a few months, they were setting up distribution centers across the country. And I just think that's the most beautiful thing that I've ever read uh, uh, when, it, when it comes to a business model. Now, you have something called a a colleague letter of understanding, CLOU. Can you tell us a little bit about that and how that works into all this? Yes, it's colleague uh, letter of understanding. It's, it's a, we, we, we short it to Clue, which uh, somewhat represents what it is. But it's, a, uh, it's our core organizing of, document or official organizing document. So colleague letter of understanding is basically what it's your understanding of what your deal is between your other colleagues. So what's your mission? What are your responsibilities? What are your activities? Well, how are you going to measure the performance with those activities? What's considered perfect performance? So it lays that out. Yeah. It lays out a career, a career plan. So what's your long-term plan? What's your short-term plan? So it's basically here's my here's my deal with the company. That's just so that's degree, incredible. To the degree we need to document this, and some, sometimes it's very general, sometimes it's more specific, but it's your understanding with other folks on your commitments to them. And so how does the just and I mean, I, I if any of this is proprietary or, you know, is something that's a inter you know company sensitive thing, let me know. But just out of curiosity, how does compensation work in this? Because often in the typical model, it's largely managerial assessments uh, of how the employees are doing that determine if someone gets a raise, if they get an, uh, right. a, a, a promotion or whatever, or, you know, how, how does that work within, within this model? How does, obviously someone, yes, they, they want the company to work better. They want it to do better, but they also want to be able to make more money from it. How does that, how does that work out in this? Uh, first, it starts out with somebody coming into the enterprise, and they come in because the, uh, internally we've identified uh, requirements or needs. We, we, we'd, be, we'd be better off if we had an additional person with this skill level. Okay, okay. those have market values out there. We advertise, we, we interview, and, and we agree to hire someone. And, of course, at that time, there's, there's a, a discussion on compensation, and there's agreement with whomever is doing the hiring with a new person on compensation. Because that's how it starts out. Now, after that, on a year-to-year -year basis, what happens is that uh, uh, we have compensation committees, uh, which are selected by the local folks within an operating group. So they form a committee, and folks uh, present their, uh, their requests uh, to the committee. Uh, we have nominal guidance. I don't like uh, you know, cost of living increases as automatics, but uh, it's somewhat of a guide. Uh, okay. Then there's competitive surveys and whatnot. So people present their, their thoughts on where they should be what they like to see. Uh, some people get a little outrageous, but not too many. And uh, this past year, oh, I'm sorry, let me continue on with the process. So they provide their recommendations and then they, they, uh, they organize them and they submit them to me. Uh, I'm getting a little, uh, I don't, the last time I, which is this last December, I went through every single person. Uh, that's not opening up their whole personal file, but I reviewed 500 people and uh, which are permanently in California. We bring on like 2,500 people for our season to operate with, but I went through the 500 people there and some are very, very quick. 
And there were only a few, uh, maybe there was a 10 where there was questions, no more than 15, where I had questions or it was unclear and we had some, some issues. Um, only one, as of today, sits unresolved. So somebody's asking, who's a very good person, but they're asking for a 15% raise. And uh, when you look at the competitive landscape on the thing, yeah, not really. And you look at their skill levels. So we're doing that as a, as a, as a team, you might say. So the person presented, because I said, okay, well, I've gone over everything. Here's bonuses. Here's compensation. Most of them are basically as, as agreed to by the compensation committees. A few are not. But if there's any issues, I want to know. And we want to know together if anybody doesn't agree with what, what how it's coming down. So we got one issue going on right now, but uh, it'll be solved. So out of 500 employees, give or take, uh, and not to mention thousands of seasonal workers, but out of 500 employees, you have one outstanding situation when it comes to compensation and role and all of that in this model, which I would imagine in most companies of a similar size with a managerial model, there's probably more than one, or it just gets buried and, and never dealt with, and, and that person gets disgruntled and leaves or you know something like that. But you have one outstanding issue, which, like you said, it's going to get resolved. It's just, it's still a month later. Still a month, we probably had five or 10, uh, you know, like I said, five or 10 there, you know, upon going through all the re all the uh, reviews, but those got settled pretty quickly. That is so interesting. I, I just think that this is incredible. Now we have a couple of, of questions. Um, one that came up, well, let me find it again. Um, a lot of people saying how fascinating they find this, this just like, uh, just like I am. Uh, but one question, where is it? Oh, I should have, I should have flagged it. Hold on. Um, Oh, so how would you say overall, um, you know, if, I, and I don't know if this is done inter internally, but how is the, like, the, the workplace happiness, uh, you know, overall how, how people are, or I guess retention, is retention good compared to, to other companies? I don't know about other companies to speak of. Ours seems to be pretty good. Uh, you know, I'll tell you, over, over many years, and especially the last uh, five, six, seven years, uh, retention and people showing up to work has gone down. I've got a 30 plus year history on truck drivers on, they apply for, they called for the job. We sent an application. Did they return the application? Did they, were they called for an interview? Did they show up for an interview? You know, were they interviewed? Uh, were they accepted? Did they go into training? Did they start the season? Did they finish the season? And it's a very clear trend to a lower level of responsibility. Because, you know, I'll, yes, I'll, I'll come, I'll, I'll send the application back. Well, do they or do, do they not? Okay, you got an appointment for, a, for an interview. Do they show up or do they not show up? More and more people are just making commitments and not fulfilling commitments right. uh, in general. And I hear that from business people all over the place. Yeah. But we've had uh, very good retention. And uh, you don't want too good a retention or you get too good of a situation. But uh, uh, so I can't compare with the other company speaker, but I think we're doing pretty good. There's a That's good. lot That's of long-term folks here, as there is in many companies. And happiness so, level, we, we, we measure that. Now, how does it compare with others? We're, you know, we're higher than average. We're not where I want to be, which would be perfect and top, but uh, it's very, very close. Uh, we had surveys so, by some people at the University of Maryland. Right? They surveyed about 100, at least 100, give or take, folks, at, seasonal folks at one of our factories and found, and found a higher level of what they considered, and they stated a higher level, a high, as high a level of sense of ownership among the colleagues, and these are seasonal folks for the most part, uh, that general executives feel. 
a sense of ownership. So when you give people responsibility and they have responsibility, they, they actually perform better and they enjoy it more. I mean, it gives them some feeling of control. It's the difference between waking up to be a cog in a machine and waking up to fulfill a purpose that you have helped, you have worked with others to set for yourself. Um, I, this is just beyond fascinating. So, uh, okay, so another question uh, that came in, um, uh, because you are primarily based in California, although you do have distribution centers. Their question was basically, uh, and the word California was, uh, was in their question, uh, but they said, you know, uh, California is one of the most, you know, uh, among the 50 states, um, among the most restrictive when it comes to regulations and things like that. Do you find that, uh, that it's dip, you know, difficult to manage that? Do you find that this model makes it easier to manage through those d different, you know, uh, labor and environmental and safety and those types of, and just general regulations and taxes in general? I talk, talk to us about that. Yeah, a few comments uh, about that. Uh, California has the highest uh, poverty rate of the United States if you look at and compare it vis-a-vis -vis cost of living. So, right. yeah, we, we've got the uh, very liberal, uh, and personally liberals are great, but, I mean, politically that's, that turns into a different situation. Uh, <laughs> it makes it tougher to do business, I'll tell you, and, and a few of the things that are just, they want to be nice, but they're causing big problems in operations. Uh, they passed a law a few years ago that even seasonal people have, uh, three days paid sick leave. Well, for, I didn't hear that, that law, until uh, uh, after the season. And I said, what, what's going on here? What happened? I mean, they had people just not, they, they work the season, then they find out, first it was maybe 20, 25% of folks understood this law, employees, seasonal employees. Yeah. So they get the end of the season, they just start not showing up. It's supposed to be for sick leave. But no, right. it's taken as a, well, I'm sick. You know, I'm watching ball today or I'm playing baseball. Uh, and then it turned into more, and then it's like almost, almost 100% of people just take those three days as automatic gifts. It's not right. being used for sick leave. And very hard, we're getting a little used to it now after three or four years on how to manage this. But to have 10% of your folks not show up for work on a given day as a surprise, how do you operate like that? It's tough. So yeah. those are things, let's be nice, let's give people sick leave, sick leave uh, if they're sick, but it turns into something else. People take advantage of it. The, uh, the regulations on, on the water and the air and things like that, they're all meant to be good, but they're, they're tougher. But those things we, we deal with, uh, I don't want to go too far with this, this uh, uh, comparison. But, you know, I understand people that, you know, well, you're going to die in a year, you've got cancer. Bad, bad hit on the uh, front, but you know, then people kind of their happiness level gets back and they, you know, they, they exist better than you'd think. You, people are going to jail and it's terrible enough, but you know what? Somehow they managed how to deal with it. So we're not in jail and we're not, we haven't got cancer, but it is tough for right, to deal right, with. Right. There's just no question about it. These things that, that they're pushing through. Do you think that there'd be a threshold where you would say, let's move to another another state, or, or is it not worth that? Well, if it was operationally possible, but you see, growing tomatoes, California is the prime place to grow tomatoes and to right. process them for various reasons. So our business is, is based here for, um, for reasons that are beyond the, uh, uh, this political part. So we have 96% of the processed tomatoes are grown in California. We get the highest yields. We have a long season. Long season promotes a lower manufacturing costs. So this is by far the lowest 
cost place to process tomatoes in the country and frankly in the world. So, so, uh, so we're based here. If it was a business like uh, Tesla or one of these other companies where you really could, you know, you can manufacture cars here or there, you'd move to Texas and I'll heartbeat. And I'm surprised why major corporations are still sitting in San Francisco and why very many people are sitting in, especially downtown San Francisco. It's a joke. Yeah. So you so be, because of the nature of of the because you're dealing with the earth, basically, when you're when you're when you're dealing with like uh, environmental things like, you know, where it's best to grow a, a crop, a given crop. That's something that is far offsets any any restrictions coming from government. Um, so here was uh, another question yeah. that came up. Um, uh, when you, uh, recruit, uh, do you find that, uh, the people that are coming to your company are basically, you know, are coming precisely because of your type of model that they feel like it would be the most rewarding type of thing? Or do you find that they come and then they're surprised and, and, and happy? Or do you think that you're, you're actually targeting some of the best by virtue of the actual, the way your model works? I think it's more important on the retention side that people okay. have been somewhere and they experience what's here and they appreciate that and they value it. As far as people coming to the company for that, we're just not a, we're not a public company. We haven't got a brand like Apple, so we're not well known. Very locally we are and uh, respected for what we do along those lines, but it's more of when they experience it, uh, they enjoy it. Now that's separated. The people that come that are, might say seasonal or, or, or the, uh, most of the folks in the facilities, they, they, they enjoy it and they experience it and they like it. I've had the biggest problem with more management, senior management type folks. Again, we don't have titles. We don't have boat managers in the, in the traditional sense. Right, we have right. people who have more influence than others, but an influence based on integrity and competence, not title position. So there's no question there's different people and different doing things that you call the managers and whatnot, but, uh, but they don't have that, that formal capability. But I've had the biggest problem bringing on people at what you'd call in the normal company, say a vice president level, for sure, coming in, oh, this sounds great. Wow, I, I've heard about this kind of thing. And I, yeah, in a business school, we talked about something. I heard about this, Maslow's management, whatnot. But this sounds great. This is what I always wanted. This is super. It's going to be great. They have the biggest failure rate. And I liken it to you break your leg, you get a cast. And, you know, you cast is a temporary thing. You get after a while, you take it off, and your leg gets better. But if you keep the cast on too long, what happens to your leg? It just atrophies. Yeah. So same thing. When people grow up, the kids, natural leaders show up. You know, the local base, Sandlot baseball team, the natural leaders pop up. School, college, the natural leaders come up there, the class president or the organizational leader. They're the president of the sailing club or the chess right. club or whatever. Right. And they naturally, then they get into management. And, and, and business school today, my daughter was business school back what, 12 years ago. And she said, you know, it's like my employees. I hate that term. It's like you own them. They're slaves. And, but it's your manager, their employee, and whatnot. So they, they then go out into business and they get this gun. I call it a gun where you can actually, you know, your power as a manager where you have the authority over other people's compensation, their career path. And right. people just naturally have a tendency, tendency, everybody to some degree, and if you can resist them, that's, that's super, but uh, to use that power, because you want to get things done right now. You, everyone wants to things ha get things done quickly and swiftly, and boom, the first way to do it is, hey, do that. Yes, sir. 
uh, any quibble, you fall out the gun. No, you will do it. And you get things done fast. Right. But are they done effectively? And do people respect you for that? So I'm interested in a long-term respect, not that. So most people, I, I'm most, I have to guess it would be most people come in a senior level type position. It sounds great. Uh, it's like jumping out of an airplane with a, with a parachute. Sounds great, but get up there and, and look down and see if you want to jump. So they get up there and they have to do it. They have lost the leaders, true leadership capability. They're managers, but they're for, they, their, their ability to lead has atrophied like that leg in the cast. So they've had the gun too long. They get frustrated that they can't get things done fast because uh, we've had a senior guy uh, come, in, come to work with a company. Yeah, and this guy was a PhD in organizational development. And I mean, he comes in and talks to one, one of the uh, young ladies that have been in the company for a number of years. And, and, oh, can you give me some coffee? Get it yourself. I mean, <laughs> he had to figure this out, you know. Now, if you asked her, she may have done that. <laughs> right. But no, this ordering doesn't work. So, uh, so that's the problem, biggest problem I have with bringing people in from the outside is they're attracted to it at a senior level. And, but they can't perform. They've lost the ability. But folks, most of the rest of the folks are, are great. And the ones that are really good folks and they really want to, they're passionate about what they do, they love it. So it's the people that have actual value in what they, in what they can actually do for others as opposed to their value being their ability to make other people do stuff. They're the ones that thrive. The ones who have, like you said, they have the atrophy from the fact that they've always just been able to point the proverbial gun of I, I can ruin your life at them uh, instead of actually inspiring uh, confidence and uh, inspiring, uh, you know, inspiring work and, and being a leader that, that leads by example and through inspiration it doesn't work well because they don't actually fit in your company. The reason that they don't like it is because your company's not built on a on a on an unnatural hierarchy based on I have this MBA, therefore you have to listen to me. It's based on right. you're going to want to listen to me because I've demonstrated that I know what I'm talking about and that when I do things that they work well. And if if you've learned to just rest on your presumed authority, then it's not going to work. I just find this incredibly fascinating. Let me ask you this. What, and, and, and this is actually based on a couple different, I'm, I'm hybridizing a few different questions that came in. Uh, someone comes in, they're good at, uh, they're good at what they're doing. They like the company. Do you often find that people have to kind of unlearn the way that it usually works in other companies? Uh, or, do, or, or do you find that once they're in there, it's just really a natural fit? Oh, they come both, and, and the ones that, uh, that, that that need to be converted, you might say, or, or need to understand the system. Sometimes it is very, very tough for those people to make it. They're so used to somebody else telling them what to do, and uh, so they don't last as long. The ones that uh, uh, have some reasonably aggressiveness or, or, or interested in what they're doing and how to improve their performance, and they have the freedom to do that and to learn and wander a little bit, they, they do great. This is just beyond fascinating. Um, uh, oh, uh, here was a question. What are the kind of, you know, uh, you know, most companies have obviously some kind of causes, charitable causes and things like that. What are the kind of, uh, you know, the kind of causes that, that you and the company, uh, support outside of obviously the company itself? We, we look at it very locally. So each of the facilities have uh, quote semi budget to work with county fairs, uh, local 4-H clubs, uh, local community groups. So we work, we work on that level. And we, our, our facilities are in small towns. 
So we, uh, you know, if you go to Los Banos, you'll see the Morning Star football, uh, you know, name on the football uh, score thing. They cost whatever $100,000 to to put up, and it's something right. at a high school. And so we support local local activities. So even that, I, why did I not think that? So even these types of decisions are being decided by the, lo- I love this so much. Oh my gosh. Um, you have some people asking if they can work for you. Um, how does someone apply to get a job at Morningstar? By the way, do you only hire in California? Because I, I had a few people say, if you if you hire outside of California, they want they want to get a job, but they don't want to live in California. Oh, we don't have too many, too many out of state uh, positions. We have a few. Okay. Uh, very few, but uh, those, those were circumstantial or, or they evolved from someone in California moving and being able to do their job uh, at some other location. Other than that, we have uh, actually another office over here. There's basically a foundation facility here at this, this, this office complex. But um, Eric Andreessen here uh, and a couple doors down here, he handles uh, applications. But we have applications to any of the facilities in our main office. We don't really have a main office, but if there's one office, I get mail this week in our Woodland office. So, uh, you know, write a letter or or send an email to Eric or somebody else in the company. So, and, and the website is Morningstar, uh, hold on. Morningstarco.com, so. Morning, Morningstarco.com, okay, cool. Yeah, so, Morningstar Packing Company. There's a lot of Morningstars if you actually get around to it. Yeah, no, I, that was my problem was when I was looking, I had to put Morningstar Chris Roofer because it was there was like a thousand Morningstars of, of yeah. all different types. The, there's a, a big uh, vegan processed food company called Morningstar because if you just put in Morningstar yeah. California, does not narrow it down. Um, there's a ton of the Morningstars in uh, – in, uh, there, there was one other question I wanted to ask you, and I'm trying to find it here. Um, it's someone experience that someone just saying their mind's being blown. It just like mine is right now. I love it so much. Oh, someone asked me is my, is, uh, uh, if I run for office again, is my campaign going to be managed this way? So I can tell you this, uh, Patricia, my, uh, my, uh, uh, that right now I have a social media team, a media team, an events team, a communications team. And it, as of right now, it's all volunteers. And I am actually, largely employing a similar model to this obviously it's just employ you know volunteer based we all have a similar mission and what we're trying to do but yeah i'm i it is based on the idea of i can't especially if i'm not paying them i can't say hey you do this because i told you to i often we collaborate together on how best to to uh to uh come up with these types of solutions and things like that um and, and oh, someone else asked what the name of this model is. So this is a mission-focused, self-managed model. But it's really this is your model, right? Like this isn't something you find in a textbook, is it? Uh, it's our model, but there's a few other people who had this uh, a similar model to some degree. So there's more and more. We've got uh, when uh, we were on the face of a Harvard Business Review about ten years ago, and uh, the cover page on Harvard Business Review is this, that was the feature story was. Was us. It's been about 25, oh, know, probably 20 or 30 books and magazine articles, major magazine articles about, about Morningstar. But there's others, a uh, few others that have similar models. So when you get into it, you find other folks that have a have somewhat similar model, but it's 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 a handful to, to a dozen. 
And we had one, uh, we had one person who who came up with a, an idea, a possible idea for for a new a new venture. If you want to get into it, asking if you've thought of getting into cannabis uh, farming and production and distribution uh, to to feed the, the the growing in California. There's recreational cannabis, but also medicinal and recreational cannabis in other states. Has there been any any consideration about that? Uh, we do have a proposal that uh, one person has uh, provided because the facilities we have actually in processing that have a similar uh, similar equipment than we have for processing tomatoes, making tomato paste. So he's uh, he's got a proposal floated out there for uh, for doing just that, but basically processing hemp. Okay, processing hemp because that's used for other products in addition to the cannabis field. Right. Well, and hemp, you can sell all 50 states federally with no problem and all of that, plus right. uh, CBD products and, and, and things like that. This yeah. is, I mean, yeah. I, Chris, I, I could talk to you for like five more hours about this, uh, but I, I respect your time. And I, I think uh, that this is, uh, I, I just think this is fantastic. I want to thank you so much for coming on the show. Before I let you go, I want to give you a chance to say anything you felt like we, did, we, we, didn't, get, we didn't get a chance to talk about or I didn't get to ask you about uh, and uh, really just give you the floor um, and uh, promote anything you want to promote, anything that you want to say as much time as you want. Chris Roofer, the floor is yours. Yeah, well, I appreciate the opportunity here. And so there's, there's more to talk about for sure about how we do things and how we actually execute on things. But it's not the cat's meow. So it's not perfect because you're dealing with people. And the biggest problem I have, frankly, and I probably noticed that back in college, I mean, I'd say, uh, you know, I guess I was a, a medium hair radical. You know, not the long hair had it radical because I was in the 60s and 70s in college. But uh, uh, I was wondering, I always wondered, why are people enthused as I am about some, such, such, such a product, uh, program and whatnot? And the same thing with the company. I guess I, I, I want people to be free and open, but I'm, uh, I wish more people did take advantage of, of the freedom and the opportunities they have with this model. Yeah. Uh, the biggest problem I have, and most people recognize it, is people holding other people accountable. You know, free out there in, the, in, in a capitalist society, you can say, well, I didn't get that service in that restaurant. And I'm not going back. Typically, people will not complain. They just won't go back to that restaurant or, or, or whatever service uh, they were, they right. were uh, facility they were going to. So when you're in an enterprise where you're actually dealing with other human beings, it's tough to hold others accountable. And so our clue, you're, you're, you've got an uh, official understanding with somebody that they're going to do X and timing about it. It's hard for people to hold others accountable. There, it's called a difficult, difficult conversation. And that's tough. So that, that's uh, probably why we have managers and why it's evolved like that. Because, you know, you were used to mommy and daddy growing up. And you're used to the, to the priest of the, at, the, at the, uh, the church with the authority and the, the yep. pyramid, and you go to business, and there's managers typically. And you go to the military, there's managers. So as people grow up, there's always a school teacher. There's an authority figure there. That person. And they're telling yeah. you what to do. And so we've grown in this culture that there's somebody else that I can, if I have a problem that I'm not comfortable addressing directly, I can go to mommy. I can go complain to mommy. Of course, a mommy will let's not complain to daddy. And uh, so that's our culture. So getting in an environment where, wow, I'm responsible here for everything, and I'm responsible for making things happen. They're very comfortable with doing their own work and getting their own work done. 
not, but when they have to count on other people and other people don't perform, well, I, I, yeah, I'm, I'm going to look bad. They're not going to like me. So all that social issue comes about. That's the toughest issue we have. And uh, for a libertarian society, you, you really need to have people who are who have self-confidence. I mean, they're, they, they're not just relying on themselves. Yes, they're individualists, but they're real. Individualism is such a, frankly, yourself, but it's, no, it's more your family, your friends. It's really taking care of your local folks at a minimum. Right. Uh, we're going to do it ourselves. And it's we. It's not just I. Can, give me a break. I can't take care of much of anything. I can't grow my own food and make my own clothes. So, no, it's all about a, it's a good community. Where, but I am taking responsibility for my life, my family, my friends. So we need that kind of sense of self-esteem and self-respect to have a, a, a society that's productive without these managers telling us what to do or the bureaucrats telling us what to do. So that's the big crux we need to accomplish here as a, as a culture, which may take hundreds more years if we last that long, thousands more years. I don't know. You go back to the Greeks 2,000 years ago, they had a democracy, right? And now we got one. And whether it's falling apart or going downhill or uphill, we don't know. We'll find out in another few hundred years when they write the history books. Right. But it could take another hundreds of years or thousands of years before we can really have a society of, of people that have uh, self-confidence and human respect. You truly respect other people's bodies and their property. That's, that's a society that's going to be great. Uh, why in religion do we have uh, so much, frankly, perfect peace? What I mean by that, yes, we have some people going into churches and killing people, but not for religious reasons particularly. We don't have, we don't have Catholics pulling guns out and pointing them at, at Jewish people and saying, you've got to come to, to, uh, to a Catholic church and adopt our uh, Catholicism. We don't have that. If we haven't got people pulling guns out, you got to come in a, in a pizza hut. You can't go down the road to Domino's. So we have a uh, respect for people. So we have so many different religions in this country, and they're very heartfelt beliefs, but, beliefs, but we have perfect peace. Why? Because we respect each other's person and our property. As long as that's the core of what we do in society, we have a peaceful, productive society. I had to look it up a few, because I use an example all the time. I looked it up a year or two ago, and there's like 135 official religions in America. But no guns. Yeah. So not only do we have peace, but everybody gets what they want, which is the same in the commercial world, where you got all these pizzas, different kinds of pizzas, different kinds of stores, different kinds of clothes. So people generally get what they want, and it's peaceful. So that's the, the core of what we want as a society and a, inside a business and inside our country politic, politically is you know, respecting other people, respecting their property and their person. So that's uh, and that's what we promote within the company. And uh, so I've enjoyed it. We're working still very hard on how to perfect uh, self-management within the company. But it's not the perfect thing. That's, that's, it's all hunky-dory because you've got that personal aspect of human beings and how they act, and people are generally territorial. They generally like to, to see what they want, what they enjoy. And uh, so we still have the people in the company. There's people in the enterprise. So we formally organize it like this, and it does work like this, and I think it has substantial benefits, but it's not perfect. But uh, I enjoy it, and we're keeping going at it. So appreciate the opportunity. Absolutely. And so, like you said, a lot of this is cultural. 
And it's a matter of, it, it starts with, and really it starts with as children, not teaching right. someone do this because I told you to. Explain to the child why this thing is, and then give them choices and consequences as a result of it, so that as they grow, instead of just thinking, oh, I have to listen to this person because they're bigger than me, and they're in a position of authority over me, instead, I should listen to what they're saying, or I should do this thing because it's the right thing to do, then now when they're working for Chris, or they have their own company, or they're working for someone else, they have a level of accountability in all things that they do, because it's not based on a presumption of authority of someone else, or a fear of someone you know coming and slapping them on the wrist or putting them in a cage or you know shooting them or whatever it's because it's the right thing to do when they have a, a, an autonomy and responsibility over how they do things and they respect other i i think this is absolutely yeah. fascinating and and I, I i am so happy to have had you on chris thank you so much for joining us tonight all right thanks much mike take care you too. So uh, and st if you can stick around during, I'm going to talk with you during the outro. Folks, thanks so much uh, for joining us for this really, really groundbreaking episode of My Fellow Americans. Uh, we will see you uh, next week uh, on Wednesday. I, I can't, oh, my guest is, I can't remember the name of my guest, but you're going to be fascinated by, I know it's a, a no, that's next week. I can't remember who my guest is next week, but you're going to love it. Stay tuned uh, next Tuesday at 8 p.m. for the Muddy Waters of Freedom, where Matt Wright and I parse through the week's events like the Wonder Boys that we are. And then join me right back here Wednesday at 8, same spike place, same spike time for the next episode of My Fellow Americans. I'm Spike Cohen, and you are the power. God bless, guys.